epic stories and epic characters are easy to tie myself to, to relate to, but sometimes the stories of the women in the Bible can be unrelatable or, I don't know, just not as epic. But the truth is, is their stories are my stories too. And not just for a time past, but for a time now. Their failures are my failures. They're good, they're bad. It all ends up kind of being beautiful. It's a greater story and we're all part of it. All of it. The good, the bad, and the beautiful. We are uh, real close now to Thanksgiving and Christmas, and um, I, um, I want to tell you about something that's fun to do. You don't have to do it, but I'm going to make a suggestion to you, and um, it's something that I've practiced for the past, I don't know, five or six years, and uh, just coming into this season, you know, there's just so much pressure that comes and so much that, um, that people don't appreciate about this time of year. So I want to give you ways that you can make it really fun. And I'm going to give you something that we started doing that's just really cool. Um, and there's two of them. And it has to do with, um, with doing something for somebody who doesn't know who you are. So you're doing this anonymous, right? So um, I started, uh, started about four, four years ago, five years ago, something like that. I was getting my hair cut. I go to Floyd's. And um, the gal next to me that was cutting somebody's hair, I heard her tell her story. She was talking about Thanksgiving coming up. And she had bunch of little kids and they didn't have enough money to do something that she wanted to do and I just while I was sitting there I was listening to her and I felt like the Lord said just bless her do something for her and I was going to get up and do it after I got my hair cut but I felt like the Lord said do it without her knowing about it so I actually waited a couple days and then I went back to Floyd's and um, I, I said hey there's a girl here I described who she is I didn't know her name but I said I want you to just give her this envelope and just um, just tell her that Somebody cares about what's going on in her life. And that was it. But I went outside and watched through the window <laughs> what happens. And so I watch her when she opens it up and she looks inside and just got this huge smile on her face. It was completely anonymous, right? Didn't need to know it was me. I didn't go back in and go, hey, by the way. I just, you know, <laughs> walked away. So started thinking, okay, so how can we, right, right between Thanksgiving and Christmas, how can we do this? And so um, last year... Um, I, I picked the Waffle House. Now, why the Waffle House? I don't like the food at Waffle House, but here's what I figured. Somebody working at Waffle House on a holiday probably is in need. You agree with that statement right there? So here's, here's a way, and I think I'm going to pick it again this year because this was, this was fun. So I went to Waffle House, eat real quick, and I guess I'll leave that part optional to you. You don't need to eat there, but I ate real quick. And um, so, so when the lady gave me the check, so I paid for the check. She brings me uh, back to change, and when she, she left, I slipped a $100 bill under the coffee cup and walked out, but again, sat there so I could see what happened, and she comes back. First thing she does is look around to see if it was a mistake, like, is the guy waiting, and there was no one there, and then I see her with the big smile on her face, too. When you can do it anonymous and without a face to it, there's something really holy about that moment. Do you agree with that? There's just something really sweet about that. Now, I'm not doing it in here to lift myself up because I didn't do it for anybody that sits in this room. It was for anonymous people who don't have a clue that I did it for them. And the only reason I even tell that story is to lead into what we're going to talk about this weekend. And I'm going to talk about a woman without a name. 
So we're in a series called The Good, The Bad. Thanks, The Beautiful. And this weekend, I'm going to talk about The Beautiful. And this woman, in my mind, is such a beautiful person, but the Bible never gives us her name. In fact, we really know very little about her. Her story comes up one time. This event happened for Jesus twice. So it was two separate things that took place. But in this particular case, the Bible never tells us who this woman is. It never says what her name is. It doesn't give, her much about her back, give us much about her background. We have to surmise a little bit from the story. So it comes from Luke chapter 7. And uh, it's, it's about 15 verses total. So I'll just read it to you and then we'll, we'll jump in. It says, uh, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come to his home for lunch. And Jesus accepted the invitation. As they sat down to eat, a woman of the streets, a prostitute, heard he was there. And brought an exquisite flask filled with expensive perfume. Going in, she knelt behind Jesus at his feet, weeping with her tears falling down upon his feet. And she began to dry them with her hair. She kissed her, his feet and poured the perfume on them. Uh, when Jesus' host, remember he's a Pharisee, uh, saw what the woman uh, was doing and what was happening and who the woman was, he said to himself, not out loud, but he's just thinking this, this proves that Jesus is no prophet. For if God had really sent him, he would know what kind of woman this one is. Then Jesus spoke up and answered his thoughts. How many of you know you're in trouble when? <laughs> <laughs> Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. All right, teacher. Uh, Simon replied, go ahead. And then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two uh, people, 5,000 to one and 500 to the other, but neither of them could pay him back. So he kindly forgave them both, letting them both keep the money. Which do you suppose loved him the most after that? And Simon, sort of not realizing that he's being tapped at that moment, says, I suppose the one who had owed him the most. Uh, correct, Jesus agreed with him. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look, see this woman kneeling here? When I entered your home, you didn't bother to offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You refused me the customary kiss of greeting, but she has kissed my feet again and again from the time I first came in. You neglected the usual courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has covered my feet with rare perfume. Therefore, her sins, and they are many, are forgiven. For she loved me much, but one who is forgiven little shows little love. You think Simon gets who he's talking about at that moment? And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then the men at the table said to themselves, who does this man think he is going around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. A powerful story. And if you just sit for a few minutes and you think about this story, you know, all through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when it talks about Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees, there were always little comments that Jesus was uh, being trapped or trying to be trapped by the Pharisees. And this story never says it, but I want you to just think about this for a moment. He's at the house of a Pharisee eating lunch, and it's just invited guests, and yet before he knows it, here's a prostitute behind him. How did this woman get in the house? And what it doesn't say, I just want to comment for a moment, do you think this could have possibly been a setup to catch the preacher and a prostitute together? It doesn't say that. It doesn't read that way exactly, but I just want you to think, where did she come from? You remember the woman that was caught in adultery? Jesus walks up and they're about to cast stones, but they really want to trap Jesus, so they said, the law says we can stone her, but what do you say? And Jesus said, the one without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. What a brilliant answer that is. But they had trapped him. 
Because it never does expose the man, only the woman in that scenario. And here, I don't know how this woman got in the house. You had to think that there had to be a bunch of men standing around and someone must have let her in. Do you agree with that? It was probably a trap. It was probably a setup. And Jesus, being the remarkable person that he always is, knew exactly what to do in the situation. And it exposes his intent. It exposes her intent. And more than anything, it exposes the Pharisees' intent. If you've got a pen or a pencil and you want to take notes, you might want to get this. If you're using the online U version, that's great too. And if you learn best by just memorizing what I say, wow, how do you do that? So here's just a couple of thoughts. Um, we know so little about this woman. I mean, the Bible doesn't really give us her name. We don't know what she looks like. Um, we know the time that she walked on this earth, and we know one little picture of her life. But just taking this story, let me give you these three things um, about her life that I think um, just to draw out of the story. Number one... Um, this, this wasn't the dream for her life. You know, when she was a little girl, she probably never said, I can't wait to grow up and sleep for money with a bunch of strangers. She probably didn't look forward when she was a little girl to the time when the only way she could feed herself was to sell her body. You have to agree with me, this is probably not anybody's dream life. But then take it back 2,000 years to a time when this person, it probably says more about this than anything else, there's probably no father in her life. Because the man would have been at that time the covering and the sustenance for the family. And without a man there, it probably fell back to this girl to figure out how to make money and how to take care of her family. So she's not living the dream by any stretch of the imagination. This is a woman that's probably seen more of life than most of us ever will and experienced the bad side of it every day in a way that most of us won't ever experience. Uh, she's an untouchable. In that community, at that time, people who were considered to be holy didn't deal with people like her. And that's why the Pharisee says, if this man was really from God, he would know who's touching her and wouldn't allow it to happen. She was an untouchable. In their society, they had a caste system. They had a hierarchy. They had those who were holy and righteous and then those who weren't. And somehow the holy and righteous who were supposed to love God and remember they represented God, forgot all of that and began to treat people like they didn't matter. And somehow these guys who were supposed to know God better than anybody else somehow treat everybody else like God only loves them. And probably last but not least, and again it doesn't say this, I'm just surmising, but she probably spent her time trying to pay attention to outward beauty because if you go back even into the Proverbs, when it describes prostitutes of that day, it said they would adorn the outside in order to attract people to them. Even the word mascara, for those of you who speak Spanish. Any Spanish speakers? DJ? Mascara means what? Mask. Literally, makeup at that time would have been a person who's covering up, using it for a mask. And it said that Women who sold themselves would decorate themselves that way. So we probably don't know a whole lot about her except that she's not living the life. There's probably not a man in her life who loves her, and she probably pays a lot to the outside and not the inside. You agree? If that's true, let me just give you these three things that I think are really important with this story. 
And let me just ask you to consider while we do this, why do you think this story's in the Bible? Of all stories, of all the miracles of Jesus, of all the things he did, why does the Bible give us this story? You know, in uh, the Gospel of John, it says this, if all the stories and all the miracles had been written down, the earth couldn't contain the volume. So the Bible is a very carefully edited text that we read today. The Holy Spirit only wanted so many things in there. Why is this story in there? Of all the stories, why this story? Why doesn't it give us her name? What, what, what's the meaning? Why is this here? So let me give you what I think, and uh, here they are. The first one just simply is this. I think it's in there uh, because it wants to teach us how we see ourselves. Just how we see ourselves. And in my mind, if you don't get your identity ultimately from Christ, let's pay attention to this and think about this for a moment. In our world today, especially the Western world, think about this. Yes or no, the thing that's being contended today in our society is identity for people. People are mixed up and messed up on identity. I mean, identity is a key issue. Who am I? All the way down to who was I born as? People are so messed up on that issue, man. If you don't get your identity from Jesus, that is an area that the enemy will try to attack. Your own brain will try to attack it. Society and culture in particular will give you their opinion about it. But I think this story is in here because God wants us to understand how we see ourselves. And if Jesus isn't the place you get your identity from, then you're going to be out of balance in one or two areas. So for this woman, I think she saw herself as pretty worthless. She doesn't even say anything to Jesus. It doesn't record her talking or thanking him or worshiping him or saying anything. She probably walked in so beaten down that the only thing she could do was cry. So she probably doesn't think much about herself and she probably doesn't see herself as much. She probably puts all the outward attention on the outside and feels like crud on the inside. And it shows up in this story right here that she probably sees herself as very worthless. But then um, if you don't get who you are from Jesus... So one extreme is you'll see yourself as nothing. And the other one is you'll see yourself as everything. And that's what the Pharisees saw. Yes or no? Because these guys think they are it, man. Not only are they better than her, they're better than Jesus. Think about it for a moment. They categorize her quickly. They judge her so fast. They put her in the category of an untouchable. She's nothing. She, she is lower than the low. But then they look at Jesus and they judge God. If he were really from God, if he were really a prophet, he would know who's touching him and not allow it because I would never allow that. Man, they thought they were something. The Pharisees usually do. And that's pretty much the two kinds of people you'll meet in life. They either think a little of themselves or a whole lot of themselves. And both extremes are difficult people to deal with. You don't want to marry one that thinks too much or thinks too low. What you really want is to marry one that gets their identity from Jesus because it makes for a really good relationship. Identity, man, what a key issue. Why is this story in the Bible? Because I think God wants us to recognize how we go around in life seeing things. Um, how do you assess value? How do you figure out what something's worth? Um, I thought of three ways that you could put a value on something, and even maybe, uh, maybe people. So hear me out when I say this. Don't just write me off. Listen to what I'm going to say. How do you value something and including people? I think you can assess value these three ways. Uh, number one, how much time? 
we spend doing something. People that spend a lot of time doing something value that thing. You agree? Some people that have hobbies that take over their life, they value it so much, that's how they spend all their time. Some people value their work so much. That's how they spend all their time. The way a person spends their time is how you can assess what's valuable in a person's life. I would just say to you, when you go back and read the story of Jesus, where did he spend his time? With people, and that would tell you right there how much he values people. He didn't value just prayer, and he didn't value just preaching, and he didn't value just doing miracles. He valued people because that's where he spent his time. And I think this story is in here because God wants us to recognize how we see ourselves, but he also wants us to see how he sees us. And we can value things three ways. One, by how we spend our time with it. How about this one right here? You can value it um, by what it costs, by what something costs. So... um, Like I could value right now, if you said, hey, the furniture in your house, what's the most valuable piece? I'd be like, American furniture doesn't really have that much valuable pieces for the most part. (laughs) But I could tell you the one that costs the most. (laughs) We don't have a lot of antiques. We don't have a lot of, but we do have a lot of American furniture stuff. But you value something by the cost of it. The stuff that's really good. Did you have these uh, rooms in your house when you were growing up? Did you have the room that you couldn't go in? That was for company? So we had that room. It literally had the covers on the sofa. And it was so nice. You can't go in there. You're not allowed. Because we won't have nice things if you boys go in there. So you value it by time and you value it by cost. Um, So what do you cost? God loved you so much that he paid the ultimate price to tell you. Jesus gave his life for you. If you value something by the cost, then that makes you priceless. Not just valuable, but priceless. Because what would you put a price on the life of Jesus? And he loves you so much and he cares about you so much and he thinks about you so much. God so loved that he gave his son and his son gave his life. God himself laid his life down. You value things by time spent with it, by cost. And last but not least, you value by something by how much you love it. How much you love it. And again, God, all through the Bible, the whole message is how much he loves us. If God was out to get you, Gene Camp, my friend, we've been together for almost 20 years. When we started with nothing, you and Myra were there. And I think I made this statement that first weekend that um, (laughs) if God were out to get us, we wouldn't be around to tell anybody he was trying to get us. We'd be a spot on the carpet where he got us. And people that have that idea about God, that he's angry or that he's mad or that he doesn't love them or favor them or he's not for them or he treats them different than he treats everybody else, what a lie that is. God, the very truth of God is being stolen from you. Quit agreeing with the devil. Begin to agree with God and at least think this way. God does like you. He thinks about you and when he thinks about you, it's good and not bad. 
I think this story is in here because it's trying to expose how we feel about ourselves. And people are always in one of two camps. They either think too low of themselves or too high of themselves. And if you don't get your identity from Jesus, it messes those two things up. It's polarizing. So let me give you the second thing. Why is this story in here? I, I think it tells us how we see others. That's always a mixed up issue. Um, I know nobody else in this room. It's usually Sunday morning people. Saturday people are, you know, they got their act together. So this is, uh, I, when I wrote this, I was thinking about Sunday people. But um, <laughs> You know, <laughs> so we read about a Pharisee and we think to ourselves, man, those, they were just, do you know the people, Pharisees didn't start out as Pharisees. They really started as people who loved God and wanted to give their lives to God and serve God. By five years old, they are working on memorizing the first five books of the Old Testament. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, man, by the time they hit 13, in that age, they could quote to you the first five books of the Bible. Beyond Genesis 1-1. Tell me what 1-3 says. So my point simply is this, is that we look at a Pharisee and it's easy for us to judge them. But we fall into the same camp when we judge. What they did is, man, their lives are... They, they, the ones who love God the most can get so caught up in religion that they lose what the whole thing was about to begin with. And then they become good at judging people. And they use the Bible to do it. If you knew who that person was and what they were really about, you wouldn't be hanging out with them. God, who else is going to hang out with them? No one else is doing them good. We're the church. We're Jesus' hands and his mouth and his love expressed on this earth to people. And it's so easy to get in an ivory tower and forget how much the world needs us. And to become so judgmental about all the stuff that we see going on in culture. Isn't it amazing that Jesus never... There's no like footnote in here that Jesus realized how messed up the culture was. And so after... She was done. He went and washed himself to purify from the filthy sinner that he came in contact. Aren't you glad it doesn't say that? You know what I really like about this story? I love how brave Jesus is. Because he knew exactly what they were going to think before he let this woman do it. But he let her do it anyway because he wanted to say to them, she's valuable to me. She matters to me. He, right in front of those guys, he said, she's worthy. But this story is in here. Because I think it's real easy to realize, man, that we don't always see others the way that we're supposed to. Uh, 1 Samuel 16. This is a scripture about King David when he was anointed as king and picked as king. Uh, but this is how it, it uh, projects the story. Uh, the Lord said to Samuel, Samuel's the prophet who anointed David, don't judge by his appearance or height. Just let me stop here real quick. I am glad God does not judge by <laughs> height. Anybody else? Yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> don't clear your throat. I'm up here to say. So the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearances, but the Lord looks at what? You know what's good about that? Most of us that sit in this room, when we make decisions... 
usually in our heart is to do the right thing. It doesn't always turn out that way, and it doesn't always go that way, but aren't you glad the Lord knows your heart? Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad he judges what the intent was and not how it always turns out? I told this years ago. I don't tell it much anymore. I don't think DJ likes this story a whole lot. I think he misinterprets what I mean by it. But Pastor DJ, um, when I hired DJ years and years ago, uh, DJ was a worship leader for us. I looked in the back of a room in a storefront that we were in, and uh, man, it was just this very small, confined space, and people were just packed into this little small. But I saw this guy stand in the back of the room, and during worship, tears just rolling down his face. And I, so I just watched this for a little while, trying to figure out what's going on. And, you know, it's easy to judge those things. Ooh, he must have a lot of stuff going on in his life. <laughs> but I just watched this guy, and I just watched the Lord move on his heart. So I thought, I'm just going to go meet him. I'm going to find out what's going on. So when worship was over, I went back, and I talked to him. And DJ was a church planner, inner city of Denver, and needed a church just to hang out at, needed a place where he got fed. So he's hanging out at our church. And he just said, man, this worship is just so good for me. So there was nothing bad going on. God was just moving in his heart. And I just admired that. And a few months went by, and we needed a worship leader. And I had found out that DJ was a worship leader. And we were interviewing different people, and I didn't know who to hire. I liked DJ, but I didn't know if he was the guy. I didn't know. I just didn't know. And so I came up with this little litmus test. I had him come to our house. And just had some of the pastors there. And I said, uh, DJ, lead worship for us. <laughs> no pressure in that, huh? <laughs> lead worship for us. And um, he just led worship. And um, this is the part I don't think he interprets rightly. There were other people more qualified. But nobody had the heart that you had. Nobody loved God like you did. Nobody was real like you were. Nobody's worship came out of them and pulled everybody else into the place that you were. And the Lord told me in that moment, he's got the heart of David. What would you pay for that? <laughs> anything in the world. I'd pay anything in the world. And I hired DJ based on one thing only. He has the heart of David. And those of you at our Lakewood campus, you know. And those of you who hear him teach, you know. And those of you who interact with him, you know. What a pure heart that guy has, man. It's the thing I love most about you. How we see others. It's so easy to look outward and to make a quick outward judgment. They aggravate us. They're dirty. They don't do what we want them to do. They don't look like we want them to look. They have habits in their life that we just are like, Ugh. It's just so easy to judge other people. And the real issue, why this story is in here, we think we see others <laughs> really clearly. But here's what the Bible says. When you make snap judgments about other people, the real issue is that you can't see what's going on in your life. And you can't see your own need. And so the Bible says, before you pull the splinter out of somebody else's eye, take the board out of yours. That's the real issue. You can't see your own stuff when you're busy judging other people. 
you think you got your act together and you think you're good and you think you got your act cleaned up. And the truth of the matter is, you needed a Savior the day you found Jesus, you needed a Savior on day two, and you need him now on day 1,000 or whatever it is. You smell better, but you're still messed up. <laughs> you know, think about this story. Simon thought he was beautiful. But the fact is, he was ugly. He had an ugly heart, yes or no? And the woman thought she was ugly. But Jesus said her heart is beautiful. (laughs) And that usually is the issue when it comes to how we see others, man. (laughs) We see ourselves as, and we see others as so low. And I just love this story because I see Jesus as simply magnificent the way he dealt with both of these people. Uh, Let me give you the third one. So the first one just simply is how we see ourselves. The second one is how we see others. The third one, I think the story is in here because we're supposed to realize how God sees us. How God sees us. That's the most important issue. It's not how we see others or how we see ourselves. It's how God sees us. If we could ever learn to see ourselves the way that God sees us, God, it would make your life so much better. The way you pray would change. The way you interact with people would change. The way you deal with yourself would change. Because if you see yourself as nothing, you treat yourself as nothing. And if you see yourself as really high, everybody else sees how you treat yourself too. It's when you can get it right with Jesus that it all comes together. And man, how God sees us is so important. Let me go back to this story and just read the last three verses real quick. Therefore her sins, say it with me, and they are, they are many. I don't think he's saying she has more than anybody else. I think he's just calling out loud what everybody knew. She has a lot going on. Therefore, her sins, and they are many, are forgiven. Uh, She loved me much, but one who is forgiven little shows little love. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then the men at the table said to themselves, who does this man think he is going around forgiving people's sins like he's God or something? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So in the middle of a crowd of Pharisees who are judging Jesus, Jesus doesn't doesn't play religion. He stands up for this one. I admire that in Jesus, man. I love how he stood up for her and just said, this is, I don't care what you think. This is what I think. And I think the story is in there. Look at me real quick. Because you either see yourself as a Pharisee or you see yourself as this woman. But either way... It's important to know that God loves you. And he wants to meet you where you are. If you're down here in your mind, or you're way up here in your mind, God loves you. And everything in the Bible is shouting how much he loves you. And when that issue gets messed up, how we see ourselves, we can read the Bible through two different lenses. One, it's a lens to judge people, or... We read that book and it so condemns us. And that was never what it was meant to be. It's a love letter written to you. It's God trying to tell you over and over again how much he thinks about you and what you mean to him and how important you are and how valuable you are. If we could ever really see who we are and who we're created to be. You know what I love about this story? Jesus doesn't just tell her, hey, You're messed up. You need to stop. He tells her, your sins are forgiven. Now go your way. Here's what he's really saying. I created you to be a whole lot more than what you're doing right now. 
So go your way and go in peace. I'm not condemning you and I'm not against you. I'm for you and I created you to be so much more than you are. And identity, listen, identity is never decided. Identity is discovered in a relationship with Jesus. Identity is never decided. You don't take a test to figure out what your personality is and what you'd be best suited for. You don't let another person tell you who you are and what you should be doing. Identity is never decided. It's discovered in an ongoing relationship with Jesus. He wants to tell you who you are and what your value is and why you're here on this earth. And without him telling you, you'll either aim at things that aren't or you'll aim at things that you shouldn't. But getting it right, man, is found in a relationship with Jesus. He's the creator. Everything I've ever bought came with a manual of how to use it. The one who created it wrote the manual for what the product is for. He created you. And he knows why you're here. And he wants to tell you what your value is. And you find that in a relationship with him. So look at me just real quick and I'll end the message with this. Are you in a relationship with him? I didn't ask you if you know who he is. Do you know him? I talk about my wife in a lot of messages. Some of you have never met her, but you could say, oh yeah, I know who Chris is. You don't know her, you know about her. In a month, I'll be married to her for 34 years. I know her. I know what she likes, and I know what she doesn't like. I know what she wants and what she doesn't want. I know her. And some people, when I ask that question, do you know Jesus? You know about him. You've heard me teach about him. Or you went to some class, or you read some book. Do you know him? Are you in a relationship with him? Is it alive, and is it active, and is it going on right now? Because otherwise you know about him. And you're not close enough. He wants to draw you to himself because you're his creation. And you're more valuable than you could ever know. And God longs to tell you that himself. You want to pray with me? So Jesus, what an honor it is to try to convey to people how much you love them. And Father, the problem with the message is that, um, that language won't ever be able to convey how you really feel about us. Language can describe it. Maybe language can even create an appetite in somebody, but it's not the meal. It's not the thing. So somewhere in this message, my words, God, are going to fall so short unless people actually know you. Not know about you. Not know you from a distance. Not know about what I talk about. But actually know you. Really know you. So listen, if you're sitting at Lone Tree or 
Castle Rock or Lakewood, Highlands Ranch or Parker. Or if you're listening online in Peru. Wherever you are, as I speak this message right now, just be honest. Do you know him? Are you in a relationship with God? Are you really walking with Jesus? The message is true and it's right. And I'm not inviting you to be religious, to join a church, to be good, to get your act together. I'm asking you if you need a relationship with God. And if you're like, Pastor, I need that. I don't have a relationship with them or somewhere along the way, it's gotten so far away. I'm so far away. I want you to know this message is stopped right now at this point because God is calling to you. He doesn't want you to go through life without him and he doesn't want you to be away from him. And you may sit here and feel very condemned right now, like, man, if you knew what was going on and why I'm so far away, I don't think God does feel like you say, oh, quit agreeing with the enemy and agree with God. He loves you and invites you to a relationship with him. And if you say, Pastor John, that's me. I need a relationship with the Father. I need to experience His love. I need His grace. I need His mercy. I need to be forgiven. I don't think right about myself. I need God's mercy. If that's you and you just say, Pastor, pray for me this weekend, just slip your hand up right now. Just pray for me, John. You bet. Yep. 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 All our campuses, just our campus pastors are doing what I'm doing right now. You can put your hands back down. So I'm going to pray for you, but my prayer is not the words that God wants to hear right now. He wants to hear your heart respond to him. Maybe you're like, I don't even know what to say. Keep it very simple. From your heart right now, just tell God, help me. Forgive me. I want to feel your love. I want to experience your life. I want to know why I'm here. Ultimately, what I need is relationship. Tell him that. I need relationship with you. From your heart, just tell him that. I'm going to pray. But while I'm praying, if this is what you want to have happen, just tell God, that's it right there. Father, we just come to you where we are. We're not trying to be anything else. We're not trying to act any other way. We're not trying to fool anybody. We come to you where we are. For some people, the outside looks really good, but the inside, God, is so far away. And for some people, the outside is so messed up. So many things in their lives, God, are in such 
far places, but inside God, their heart is tender. It's very tender. God, you look at our heart. So right now, regardless, God, of whether it's inside or outside, God, right now, in our hearts, Father, we need you. We need your grace and we need your mercy. We need your life. We need your love. And we ask you to pour that out on us right now. God, help us. Can you just say that? Help us. Help us. Be merciful. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you that you valued us so much, you paid the ultimate price. God, let that be so real to us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to me.